Our text today is Matthew 26, verses 47 through 56. As you're turning there, I hope that as you come this morning, as we approach the Word, that you know that your acceptance is not based on the merits of this past week. It's not based on how good you were, how many people you told about Jesus, how much time you spent in the Word and in prayer. Our acceptance is based solely on the accomplishments of Jesus Christ on our behalf. That's incredibly important when you consider the terrible events that we've just been praying about, maybe your concern as it relates to them. We need a foundation that is stronger than we are. And we have that in Christ. 1 Corinthians 3.11 says, For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. And so as we go to the Word, let's go to the text and read it in the hope of the one who it is written about. If you're able to stand, stand and follow along as I read. Matthew chapter 26, beginning with verse 47. While he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a great crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, The one I will kiss is the man. Seize him. And he came up to Jesus at once and said, Greetings, Rabbi. And he kissed him. Jesus said to him, Friend, do what you came to do. Then they came up and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. And behold, one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus said to him, put your sword back into its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once send me more than twelve legions of angels? But how then should the Scriptures be fulfilled that it must be so? At that hour, Jesus said to the crowds, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I sat in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. But all this has taken place that the Scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples left him and fled. Let's pray. Our Father, we praise you for your word. Father, thank you for giving us a means by which we can learn about you, a way that we can know you, know more things about you, a way that we can trust you, a way that you can speak to us, Lord. And that's our prayer. We ask that you would use your word to speak to our hearts and help us to see and treasure Jesus more through it. We pray in Christ's name, amen. Go ahead and have a seat. This is the arrest of Jesus. Jesus, the Savior of the world, the one who has been crying out to his Father in the garden for hours in the middle of the night, is going to be wrongfully, secretly arrested and accused. Verse 47, while he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, 
and with him a great crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the elders of the people. While he's still speaking, while he is, if you remember, waking the disciples and telling them, get your sleep later, the, the time has come, they are here. Jesus knew they were coming even from before they arrived. Knew why they were coming even before he saw their weapons. Judas, it says, approaches them. Now imagine this scene. Remember that Jesus had to wake the disciples because it said their eyes were heavy with sleep. So this must have been a weird situation. The disciples were not at their best, obviously. And here is this co-disciple, one of the twelve, who had been through the deepest and craziest of times with them the past three years. They have experienced so many things, things we can't even comprehend, things that John concludes his gospel account by saying, there are so many more things that Jesus did that if they had been written down, the whole world would not be able to contain the books. And we don't have those things written. Clearly, that's what John is saying. But these 12 men walked through all of those things with Jesus together. And now this one, Judas, is leading a crowd of people toward Jesus. Now the crowd, it says, is from the chief priests and elders. So this is an act of the Sanhedrin. The group is likely made up of temple guards, possibly uh, some other police. And they've been sent there to arrest Jesus. And you see how they come with swords and clubs. And this is no good. And then it's it in the middle of the night. These are the religious leaders. These are the ones who teach the scriptures. They're leading this. Leading this kind of mission. John 18, verse 3, So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. It's a terrible, terrible scene. Judas has seen more than we could ever imagine. He had more than enough evidence to believe that Jesus was who he said he was. But his pride and his desire for self-promotion kept him from believing and trusting the king. Verse 48, now the betrayer, Judas, had given them a sign saying, the one I will kiss is the man, seize him. They have come to seize Jesus, to get Jesus. And we, we hear a lot about how Judas betrays Jesus with a kiss, which is true. Also, it's a, it's a detail that gives us evidence that this really was it night. 
with it being dark and no street lights or house lights or things like that, they wouldn't be able to see and recognize who is who. And so this is a practical and purposeful signal to the mob who has come of this is the one that you are to take, to seize. So Judas gives them a way of knowing who Jesus is. He will kiss Jesus and they will know it's him. It goes on in verse uh, 49. And he came up to Jesus at once and said, Greetings, Rabbi, and he kissed him. Greetings, Rabbi. Now, greetings is a term of peace. It wishes peace on the one that it's spoken to. Greetings. And yet Judas intends violence. The word rabbi means master or teacher. And yet Judas has rejected Jesus as Lord. A kiss is a token of affection. It's shared greeting of true friends. And yet Judas has emptied himself of affection. It is a bitter scene. And yet Jesus isn't surprised. John 18, verse 4, it says, Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward, presents himself ready on mission. Verse 50, Jesus said to him, Friend, do what you came to do. Then they came up and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. And Judas greets Jesus as rabbi as he betrays him to authority. And Jesus responds by calling him friend. We're going to talk about this more, but Jesus is a friend of sinners. You cannot read the Gospels. You, you have to close your eyes through the Gospels to not see that Jesus is purposefully a friend to sinners. It is incredible that Jesus can address him as such. He is full of mercy, full of love. It says they came up and laid their hands on Jesus and seized him. This is certainly aggressive. They've been waiting for this day. There's hatred here. Jesus is in their hands, in custody. And as they have him there, holding him in custody, something happens. 51, and behold, one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Guess who it was? No one's shocked, right? Peter. Well done. Good and faithful servant. Peter. Peter tries to do something to defend his friend. Maybe to prove that he was serious earlier when he said that he would be faithful to Jesus to the very end. I'll never deny you. I'm going to cut some people up. He cuts off an ear. Man, I mean, 
man cuts off an ear. I mean, what kind of swinging are you like? Man. I mean, there may be some of us who read that and you cheer a little bit on the inside. You're like, that's what I'm talking about. That's it. And we don't see it in Matthew, but Luke 22, 51 tells us that before Jesus speaks, he does something. He restores the man's ear. That is beautiful. He didn't have to do that. I mean, this, is a, this whole thing's a gruesome situation, right? The whole thing is. He restored the man's ear. It's amazing. Can you just pause for a moment and consider that? The guards saw him do that. These guards that are taking him into custody, they saw Jesus pick up the ear and heal the man. The one whose ear had been cut off felt it. And yet, as far as we know, their hearts are unmoved. Now maybe some, maybe one had a change of heart, softened heart maybe, but they didn't change course. They couldn't change course. Jesus, being in custody in the hands of these men, then turns and speaks to Peter. Verses 52 and 53. Then Jesus said to him, Put your sword back into its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my Father and He will at once send me more than twelve legions of angels? This is amazing, and it's grace. This is grace. Jesus needs no one to come to his defense in a violent or physical way. He's the king. And he's absolutely in control. In control of every part of this. Completely in control. We can see that from the fact that he calms the situation immediately. I mean, you've got 11 unskilled men against a mob who are there with clubs and swords. And one of these guys is just like, wham. That's, that could be a pretty bad situation <laughs> for Peter and for the others. And Jesus calms it immediately. Jesus uses a proverb here, put your sword back into its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Jesus has no desire or need for his followers to seek to advance his cause by means of violence. He commands otherwise. In Matthew 7, verse 2, he had said in the Sermon on the Mount, with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now, I want to talk about this briefly. What does Jesus mean by put your sword back into its place? We, we may want to jump immediately to Luke chapter 22, verses 35 through 38, where Jesus says this. He said to them, When I sent you out with no money bag or knapsack or sandals, did you lack anything? They said, Nothing. He said to them, But now let the one who has a money bag take it, 
and likewise a knapsack. And let the one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy one. For I tell you that this scripture must be fulfilled in me. And he was numbered with the transgressors. For what is written about me has its fulfillment. And they said, look, Lord, here are two swords. And he said to them, it is enough. Now, first of all, I want, to, I want to comment on Luke 22, that the point of that text is Jesus preparing the disciples for what is to come. In the midst of um, those things that he's encouraging them to do now, uh, take a money bag, a knapsack, if you don't have a sword, sell uh, your cloak and buy one. That's all going in a direction. Because or for... I tell you that this scripture must be fulfilled in me. And he was numbered with the transgressors. So Jesus' point in the midst of saying that is, I'm the one who is going to be slaughtered for all who will trust in me. Their response then is, look, here's two swords. And Jesus says, it is enough. And they move on. So what does Jesus mean here? Well, Jesus said that before the text that we're in today, okay? So timeline, Jesus tells them that before we get to Gethsemane and Jesus being arrested. That's likely why Peter even has a sword with him. So what does he mean? I want to simply say this. Whatever Jesus means by let the one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy one, he does not mean to overturn any part of the Sermon on the Mount in doing so. Whatever he's saying, he's not saying, I didn't mean the Sermon on the Mount. Verse 53, do you think that I cannot appeal to my Father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? Imagine, this is the king you just go back in time. John, John talks about how it was uh, Jesus, it was the Son of God that, um, that, that Isaiah saw in Isaiah 6 when he describes uh, that he saw the Lord seated on the throne, high and exalted. And in that text, it talks about angels crying out one to another, holy, holy, holy. Holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with His glory. Jesus is king. He doesn't need swords in His defense. He could speak. And legions of angels, thousands upon thousands upon thousands of angels at His disposal. The Father gives protection to His Son. As you consider the purpose of Jesus coming to earth and what He endured, what He went through, He could have called legions of angels. He could have. He's not lying here. He's saying, I could do that. Jesus, after praying what He did in the garden, says, this, I could call legions of angels and this would be over. 
Those things are not opposed to each other. Jesus' prayer in the garden and Jesus saying, I could call legions of angels and they would annihilate these people. They're not opposed to each other. The agony of what was to come and God's determination to bring it about does not at all mean that Jesus could not have called 12 legions of angels to come at once. He chose not to. Jesus chose not to do that. Do you think that I could not, he's saying? Absolutely I could. I choose not to act in that kind of way. Jesus chooses to permit evil men to put their hands on him in a way that will bring about pain and suffering and eventually death, but then life not just for him, but for all who call upon the name of the Lord. He chose that. He decided that he would do that. Verse 54, but how then should the scriptures be fulfilled that it must be so? The hour of suffering has come. The hour for Scripture prophesying the suffering of the Messiah to be fulfilled has come. You consider what the prophet Isaiah wrote of the Messiah hundreds of years before this scene that's taking place in Matthew 26. Isaiah 53, just listen to the words of the prophet of what was to happen to the Messiah. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked, and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. 
When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. We're probably going to visit that text several more times over the next weeks. But this is our Savior. This is what our Savior looks like. It's how He's described and then how He lived. I could have called 12 legions of angels, but I choose not to. And look again at verses 53 and 54. He chose this so that the Scripture would be fulfilled and that we could be saved. Verse 55, At that hour Jesus said to the crowds, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I sat in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. Jesus does not lead an insurrection. So why then, he's saying, do they come with weapons? He is not physically dangerous to them. They could have easily captured him at any other moment in the presence of other people, but that reminds us of the religious leaders' schemes. They were seeking to avoid that very thing trying to do it secretly because of the crowds, because the people who loved Jesus to not cause an uproar. Another point to this is that even though they know that Jesus is not an armed insurrection, insurrectionist, by bringing a mob of temple guards and police armed with swords and clubs, they are treating him as an insurrectionist. And we're going to see that throughout the Passion narrative. Jesus is treated as something that He is not. So that we can be treated as something that we are not. It's the meaning of 2 Corinthians 5.21 that we talked about last week. For our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin so that in Him we might become the righteousness of of God. Jesus is treated as something that he is not so that we then can be treated as something that we are not. He is counted an insurrectionist and we are counted as righteous. In verse 56, but all this has taken place that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. And then all the disciples left him and fled. Jesus repeats this truth. This all took place that the scriptures would be fulfilled. Every detail of the passion story of Jesus' arrest, torture, suffering, death, burial, and resurrection were purposeful and fulfill scripture. It was all planned. 
God planned this for the sake of you and me so that any who call on the name of the Lord can be saved. Earlier, the disciples, you remember, had declared that they were willing to die with Jesus. And yet here at his arrest, the end of verse 56, they all left him and fled. They all left him and fled. Now, you think about the text and the context here. They didn't need to run. They had no need to run. Judas literally gives a specific symbol because they're only interested in arresting Jesus. If they were interested in getting anyone other than Jesus, there's no symbol. There's no sign, I'll show you which one to seize. No, they just could come, you 12, come with us. And not just that, Peter cut off one of their ears and he's alive. They didn't do anything in response to Peter cutting off an ear. They were not after these guys. Not yet. They just want Jesus. They, they believe that just getting Jesus is going to destroy this whole thing. That this whole following is going to collapse at the death of Jesus. They didn't need to run. They didn't have to run, but they run, they flee, they leave Him. Their rash declaration of faithfulness to Him failed. But God's Word didn't fail. God's Word will never fail, and that is our hope. We cannot count on our own faithfulness to get us anywhere. But we can and must count on the Word of of God. We must trust in the never-failing Word of God. It is there that we see such truth as in today's text. Jesus is a friend of sinners. Judas comes and kisses Jesus in an act of betrayal, and Jesus calls him friend. The mob comes to Jesus, treating him as something he never was or ever could be. And Jesus, with all of the power in the universe at his disposal, goes along with them. The disciples run away when things get difficult. They abandon the one they say they love and that they would die for. But Jesus remains there for them. He doesn't go after them. He stays the course for them and for us. He befriends them when they abandon him but can, by continuing his journey to the cross to save them from their faithfulness. Jesus is a friend of sinners. That is the hope of the world. God came into the world to save sinners, to befriend them. Romans 10, 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone. Everyone who calls on the name of this Lord will be saved because he stayed, because he was faithful, because he went to the cross willingly, 
even when we all ran away. As we go into a time where we take the Lord's Supper today, we want to remember our Lord and Savior Jesus who befriended us as we were running the other way, befriended us. His body was broken and His blood was shed for us for the forgiveness of our sins. It is a joy that we have a King and a Savior who loves us that much. Even today, Jesus has legions of angels at His disposal that He could send and annihilate any or all of us. He chooses not to. In grace, He sacrifices Himself as a means of forgiveness and love and grace and mercy for us. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your goodness and Your grace. We thank You for the blessing of Jesus, of knowing You. Father, that You, in Your grace and in Your love, awakened us to who You are. You've shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. To let us see how good, how wonderful, how pleasing You are. And we thank You as we see in this text that You were faithful when no one else was. And that you went to the cross because you knew that we were unfaithful. To rescue us from our unfaithfulness. You were treated the way we deserve to be treated so that we can be treated as if we have lived like you, Lord. We're not worthy of any of this. You've demonstrated that again and again and again. And yet, you are grace, your truth your mercy, and your love. So we praise you for those things. In Christ's name, amen.